Let me pray, and then we're going to start right away into this passage in Luke chapter 2. This is the, Lynn just quoted it. We're going to talk about the song of the angels. We're doing the songs of Advent this year. Um, So let's pray together. Lord, thank you for who you are, for what you do, for how you do it. We pray that you speak to us today, your humble servants. As we come to you holding our stuff loosely, we ask that you give us only what you want us to have, that you show us only what you want us to see, and you tell us only what you want us to hear. And Lord, I ask that you stand in my shoes, that you give me your thoughts and you speak with my mouth so that this is your message for us, not just my message for them. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of your spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So, now, Advent is a, I won't say it's strange, but it is an unusual thing for Western people, Um, because Western people kind of see the the history as linear, right? One thing happens, and another thing happens, and most people are going, well, duh, of course that's how we see it. But Jewish people, uh, Semitic people, ancient people tended to see the world cyclically. So um, history was something they did over and over. So every time the Jews practice Passover, they're not just remembering that their ancestors had gone through it. They're trying to have that practice become their own history, their own experiences. So they, they're reliving what the Lord has done. In fact, we get this, we kind of know this, when we talk about communion, when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. It's not just to remember what I, what I did when I died on the cross, I descended into hell, I resurrected from the dead, and I ascended to the Father. We're supposed to join him in that last supper. We're supposed to see him in, in his giving of promises. You experience some of this at Christmas time. Um, it's more of an emotional than it is a rational thing. And I think I've told this before, but when I was growing up, um, <clears throat> we always got up and we had 18 steps going from the upstairs to the downstairs. And my mom uh, would not let us come down the stairs till she was ready. And she being ready was cooking uh, scrambled eggs in the bacon fat after the bacon had been uh, crisped up because we in the Walker family, we don't like the floppy bacon. And I always knew we were getting close to ready because I could smell Sara Lee pecan coffee cake. And so all the boys would sit on the top two or three stairs. Everyone had their spot. And when we started uh, coming home with others like spouses or serious girlfriends, they had to sit right next to whoever they were with. And there was a, every year there was a picture of which I've seen one. They were on the old Kodak Teleinstamatic. And I'm not sure that she ever developed all the rules. Um, but, but when I smell Sara Lee coffee cake, I am right back on the top of those stairs. Um, I'm living it again. So Advent is a time where we live it again. So I'm going to do my best to tell this story, to read this story, and then to tell this story and ask you to consider listening to it again for the first time. Uh, Because there are some unusual things in here. And then we're going to, we'll look at a couple of other passages. They won't be on the screen, just briefly, just to remind you that what, that what we're saying about the Son of God, God himself, um, is accurate throughout the story, the history, and the narrative of Scripture. It reads like this, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, we're going with it being singing, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to men on whom God's favor rests. And the angels had let, when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and a baby who was lying in a manger. And when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned to glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, <clears throat> which were just as they had been told. Now, a couple of things, a couple of Bible nuggets here. Um, it says here, do not be afraid. Every time you see an angel in the, in the infancy narratives, the, 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 in, the, in the Gospel of Luke and the Gospel of Matthew, when an angel shows up to make an announcement, the natural human response to an angel's presence, especially when they're unexpected, which I don't know that there's ever a time that we expect an angel to show up, <clears throat> you always see that they are terrified, that they, or they were much afraid, as Linus from Peanuts would say, or they were sore afraid. And then there's the response from the angel saying, do not be afraid. Now, of the three in the Gospel of Luke that we've read so far, those are three of the 365 times in Scripture where God it tells us, fear not, do not be afraid, or ask the question, why are you afraid, in humanity's response to either a message from God or God himself. There is a natural human tendency to fear the things of God. Think about it when, when the... Um, when the disciples are on the boat and the storm comes up and Jesus, Jesus is asleep on the boat, on the back. And, and the, the word for the storm actually is the same word we use for earthquake. So this isn't a minor little deal. And it, the storm comes up and they're scared to death. And they, and they wake Jesus up like, don't you care if we, we're going to drown? And then he stands up. And what does he do? Do you remember? Shh. He says to the storm, and immediately the storm is calm, the sea is calm, the wind is gone, and then they're even more afraid. So first they're afraid that God won't act, and then they're terrified when he does. That's Advent. We anticipate the Lord's coming, even though we know that he's already come. But the beauty of Advent is that he has promised not only that he would come once as the Lamb, but he would return as the lion. So as we walk toward Christmas, we walk to the birth of the Christ child, we should, as Christians, be examining our own hearts, our own souls, our own minds, our own behaviors, wondering, are we anticipating the Lord's return as they anticipated his first arrival? The delayed return of Jesus is what's known as the delayed parousia. Now, here's a couple of Bible nuggets in here. Um, today, in the town of Bethlehem, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. Savior, the word there is soter, 
And that's where, if you're a theologian, if you're a bi- really big Bible nerd, you know that the doctrine of salvation is called soteriology, soter. So he, he's told by the, the, the shepherds are told by the angels that a savior has been born. He is Christ Christos, which is the, the Greek transliteration or the Greek word for Christ anointed one, which in the Old Testament would be Messiah, the Messiah. And then he is Christ the Lord. The Lord isn't spelled out here all that much because some people are called Lord if they have a higher station, a higher status. Um, so theologians would argue that the gospel according to Luke, when it says he is Christ, the anointed one, the Lord, not of the Lord, but the Lord, that the rest of the book of Luke and the, all of the book of Acts are there to explain and show the authority that he has, not just the authority as one sent by God, but the authority of God himself. Now, a couple of things about the shepherds. I've been trying really hard to figure out kind of a common contemporary view of what shepherds are, because it's, it's tough, because we know and we can, we, can, we, can, we can really put them in a bad spot, because they were shepherds. If you remember David, um, all of, all of this, the, 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 the brothers of David were brought forward as the one that God was going to anoint king, and they're like, it, it's not... He's not here. Do you have any more? Well, yeah, the little guy, right? The shepherd, he's out in the fields. Shepherds were typically the youngest son unless there was a daughter, and then the daughter got stuck doing the shepherding. Out in the fields, all around, um, and so they were kind of the lowly of the lowest. And so we can kind of say, we can kind of look at that and go, you know, shepherds were, they they, they were kind of nothing. They were the dregs. They're the homeless people in San Francisco. But that's not a completely accurate biblically. Because throughout all of Scripture, if you think of Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. See, even though they're the lowliest of people, the Lord has elevated them. Jesus says in John 10 uh, that, that he's the good Shepherds. So there's something about the shepherds being that the birth of Christ is announced to the, you could say the lowliest, but the average Joe. So an Uber driver, a gas station attendant, a retail worker, and I'm not coming down. I'm not saying that's the lowliest low. I'm just talking about people that work hard for a living and, and, and they're, not, they're not people that are necessarily able to keep their head much above the waterline. That's a shepherd. They went days without eating, sometimes days without drinking, because they had to get their sheep from one place to another, to a well, to the, to the, to the grassy fields. And when we think of grassy fields, we think of all of our, most of you are Dutch, so you're probably lawn heads. You think of your backyard and how beautiful it is um, in May, early June, after the, you know, the crabgrass, any crabgrass that was coming up, you got rid of it. It's just perfect before the dandelions come up, before the, the, the yellow nuts hedge comes up. It's just, it's ideal. And you got to mow it three times a week. You know, that, that's what we think of the Lord. He makes me lie down in green pastures, but that's not, that's not Israel. 
There's tufts of grass here and there. There's little spots where if you, you don't see it from afar, but if you look down, you'll see, oh, yep, there's some, there's some blades of grass, there's some blades of grass there. The, the shepherd's job is to bring them there. So they're traveling from one place to another, one place to another. And it's interesting to me that Jesus calls himself the good shepherd because he never really stood still. He went from one place to another. He didn't lead his sheep, his disciples, yes, but he didn't lead from one place to another, but he went from one place to another to make sure the sheep had the food that comes from the mouth of the shepherd. But the thing that occurs to me, the thing that, that, that I don't want to say bothers me, it's the thing that it bothered me last week when it, when it hadn't occurred to me. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. We know the story. We've seen the, the, the Christmas pageants. In the, at the 1030, the children will be up here leading us in worship. I don't know if there'll be a kid dressed up in a bathrobe with a staff and a shepherd. I don't, I don't know. I haven't seen it yet. I look forward to it. But we get so used to the story that we, we don't even notice. So I'll give you another example of a strange sign to you. Moses, when he meets God in the burning bush, Moses is like, oh, who should I tell you, who should I tell them sent me? I'm not a very good speaker. He, well, you'll have Aaron. Da, da, da. It goes back and forth. And then God says, this will be a sign to you. You will come back and worship me on this mountain. That's not much of an assurance, right? It's, you're going to go, you're going to risk your life. You're going to go back to the place where you, you killed an Egyptian and you grew up in the house of Pharaoh and you're going to take on Pharaoh and you're going to deliver my people from one of the most powerful men on the planet. And how will you know that it's going to be true? When you're done, you'll come back here and worship me. That's an unusual offering of a sign of assurance. So is this. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby in a papoose laying in a feed trough. Now, if you were God and you know you're not, I know I'm not, we know we're not. But if you were God, how would you announce your birth? If you were going to become incarnate, if you were going to come and identify with the people, I'm not talking in the modern context of, of identify as, I'm talking about identify with. If you're going to become one of your creations, if you're going to go from being the creator to wearing a creature's body, and you want the whole world to know it, you want everyone to understand that glory goes to God in the highest and on earth peace to all on whom God's favor rests, how would you announce it? Me? Apache helicopter. First century. Never seen it. Maybe even just fireworks. I'm going to bring a bunch of fireworks. I'm going to blow them up in the air. It's going to spell out, son of God. I, I think that I would do it differently because I would want the easy way. I would want, look, I just want to make this right. I want these people to know that I'm something beyond them, that I am their creator God, that I love them so dearly, so deeply, that I want them to see my majesty, my glory, and my power so that they will choose instinctively to bend their knee to me and peace will reign on earth. But that's not how God chose it. Because God is humble, he chose a baby wrapped in a papoose lying in a feed trough. 
Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm an angel, and, or excuse me, if I'm a shepherd and the angels show up, and, and by the way, when it says the, an angel of the Lord uh, appeared before them and the glory of God surrounded them, it's not the glory of God surrounded the angels. It's, it, it came around the shepherds. That's terrifying because you're, it's in the middle of the night. They didn't have street lights. They didn't have light pollution. They might have had, had lights. There might have been a full moon. We don't know that. Um, but it is dark, and suddenly you, you and your friends are glowing with the glory of God. And you see this being in the sky, or maybe he's on the ground until they start to sing, and, and he says to you this, and you're terrified. Don't be afraid. There, this will be, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And we're going to go back to the, all the people here in a minute. And this will be a sign to you that you will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Where? In the city of David, Bethlehem. He's a savior. He's Christ the Lord. Now, after they have their experience with the angels, they go off and they find exactly what the angels told them. I don't, I don't think it was common for children to be born in a stable. I don't think it was common for a crib or a bassinet to be a feed trough. But it's not as uncommon as, as we probably think. I know Lynn and I have a friend who's a, who was a twin, and when she was born, one of, the, one of the twins was in a dresser drawer as their bassinet, and the other was in the bathtub. When, when Lucy, my granddaughter, was born, and Elise and Matt had to go from uh, Queenstown area to Auckland to, get, to go to the consulate in order to get Elise, or, uh, Lucy's passport and make sure that you know, her citizenship was registered with the United States, even though she had a New Zealand birth certificate, when they went off, they, didn't, they, they, couldn't, they had enough stuff. Remember when they your first child? You traveled with everything you would ever need. Um, and they had this tiny little car. They, it was a nine-hour drive to Auckland because it's just two-lane roads, this island stuff. And they sent us a picture of her. They had this big yellow regular suitcase, not the, not the new ones with the wheels, just an old suitcase. And they had opened it up, put a blanket in there, and Lucy was sleeping as a crib in a suitcase. I thought that was creative. So I don't think it's all that uncommon for people that don't have a lot of money to find what they can to lay a baby in at night. But the shepherds head off and they go, ha, it's exactly like they told me. And then they left and they told everybody what they had heard, what they had experienced, what they had seen. Everybody was amazed. Do you think they were amazed because there was a baby lying in a feed trough? Or do you think they were amazed because God said, finally, the Savior, the Messiah, has been born, that God has become incarnate? I just find it curious that the God of the universe decided to announce his birth, yes, with angels, yes, to humble people, but showed his power through his powerlessness by being wrapped up in a papoose. Now, if you don't know what that's like, we think of swaddling clothes, we think of, of just lots of fleece, lots of soft material, but they would, because children are fragile, and now we know that they're a little bit more resilient uh, than, than, than we sometimes think, but they would want their limbs to be steady, so they would put their hands by their side, their arms by their side, and their feet next to each other, and they would wrap them so nothing can move. So the God who moved by word all of creation, the God who spoke 
let there be light, and out of darkness came light. The one who just spoke a word and, and separated water from land, the God who, who just spoke a word and Adam came to life, that God, the one who is all-powerful, showed his power through the powerlessness of a basically a paralyzed infant laying in a food trough. That is humble. And Jesus takes that as part of his ministry, and he says this, in Matthew, he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And then we hear other things about Jesus in Isaiah 53, known to the Jewish people in Jerusalem particularly as the forbidden chapter. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Now, yes, he's a baby, and we look at babies, and everyone thinks babies are cute, even the ones that look like E.T. or beef jerky. Um, you know, see, I mean, my, my daughter was, per, she was beautiful. My son, when he was born, this is an old family joke, and I hope he doesn't take, but his, because he was stuck in a certain spot during the birth, his lip, and he had that sucking motion, so he was just doing... And I looked at him, and God, I love you, but it's hard. <laughs> so yes, we see a humble child who is incapable of doing anything for himself, dependent on a 12-year-old or 13-year-old girl who's never kissed a boy, and a father who married her to help her keep her identity because a, 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 an angel said so. He's lying in a humble place. That God, that, 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 that baby grows up to be the... He is the Son of God, remains the Son of God, and grows up to be someone that physically, he's not an Apache helicopter, he's not a male model, he's not a glorious uh, Greek God-looking person, he's just a man. He decided to be humble instead of arrogant. He decided to be meek instead of powerful. He decided, God decided to meet us where we are, instead of ask us to come to him. But one of the issues in our culture is because we know that God is humble, that God loves, that glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to people on whom God's favor rests. Well, we're already God's favorite. We get to do what we want. We get to do how we want. God gave us the gift of free will, and we have the, the right to decide whether we believe that he's real, whether we believe that he sent Jesus to die for our sins. We get to decide what, who we are, and he has to accommodate us instead of us accommodating him. And yes, this thing that says on whom God's favor rests, it is available to all, but not all will receive it. And some throughout history, many, if not most throughout history, and many, if not most right now, have access to the God of the universe, the mercy of God, the grace of God through the person of Jesus Christ, to his humble heart, 
and we reject it. And Christians get a lot of grief about talking about hell and sin. But I'm just going to give you just a different way of looking at hell. For those who reject the favor of God, for those who choose to get what they deserve, eternal punishment is actually not a mean, evil, wicked, uncaring, harsh God sending people to hell. He's not going to make someone be with him forever if that's not where they want to be. Eternal separation from God is actually God's last act of respect for the human will. I will not make you live with me forever if that is not your desire. I will not save you from your sin if you don't believe you need it. Why? Because God is humble. Because God is gentle. Because God is loving. Because God is merciful. And because God offers grace to anyone who would receive it. But he will not force it upon anyone. That is the God you serve. That is the God who we're supposed to be like. That is the God who loves people so much that he will allow them to be, for as long as they choose, as miserable as they want to be. But for those of us who already have received the favor of God, Lynn was just saying this morning that Moses sought God's favor. She was saying that to me. I don't think that's part of what she said up here. I was too busy doing this. Moses sought God's favor, and it's okay to seek God's favor but you will never earn it. But God favors the humble. He pushes aside the proud. So if we worship a humble God who does not need to be humble because he's God, but he chooses out of his character his joy in his creation for the joy set before him, which is us, he decided, my humility is the first thing they will see, and I will announce my birth to the most humble in the culture of the Jews, because I want my people to see me as a shepherd, one who leaves the 99 to rescue the one, one who calls his sheep by name, one who, when, when, when the sheep start going astray, corrects them to bring them back. Why? So that they will continue to follow the shepherd. And he gave you, people like me, Doug, and Kurt, and Josh, we're sheepdogs. Our job is to run around and bark and make some noise and try to maybe sometimes nip at your heels and try to keep you following the shepherd. But we're not shepherds. We're under shepherds at best. The good shepherd is the humble God who lay in a manger when he decided to be the savior of the world in flesh. So worship the humble God, but worship him with and in humility. because he pushes away the proud 
and he favors the humble. Let's pray. Almighty God, we bless you, praise you, and thank you again for what you do, but even more so how you do it. Thank you that you didn't show up in a 2023 version of an Apache helicopter. Thank you that you didn't come as a Tesla roadster. Thank you that you came as an infant unable to speak, unable to see beyond 18 inches, at least clearly, from your nose unable to articulate all the things of the, of the universe that you knew, you chose to humble yourself to take on our likeness so that we have an opportunity to receive your favor. Help us remember that, not just this season, but day to day, even minute by minute. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.